Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and around the world, this is your host for the David Harris Jr. Show. Ladies and gentlemen, family and friends from around the country and literally around the world, this is another episode with your host, David J. Harris Jr. And today I have the privilege and the honor of having a guest back on with me. This guest caused some controversy last time he was here because he shared a lot of information that I think was hard for people to stomach. Well, now we've actually heard the President of the United States share some of the exact same sentiments and beliefs on COVID-19, on this coronavirus that did originate from Wuhan, China, uh, that Gary Haven shared. So without any further ado, we have more information to talk about, more to get into with Gary Haven. Gary, thank you so much for coming back onto my show. Thank you for uh, your continued patriotism towards our country, your support of our president, and for breaking down the truth when it comes to all of this COVID-19 coronavirus stuff that uh, is really causing chaos in a lot of people's minds. We want to speak clarity and truth, and I think you, I believe you bring a lot of that to to all of us. So thank you once again for coming on my show. Thank you, David. I'm surprised that you invited me back uh, after reading a lot of those comments. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> well, I hear you. I wanted to just let you talk and share, and I know that it seemed like you were being hard on the president, but I don't think you were. I think what you were trying to say is that the Democrats, which they have already showed and proven that they will try to use anything that they can against this president, that they would use it against this president if he start ta- if he didn't start taking decisive action, which he did, he has. We've seen that. And so I believe that what you shared was important. It was necessary. And just like the information that you have to share today, I think it's important and necessary. And the president knows you love him and knows I love him. So everybody else should be, uh, should be happy with that. Yeah. Well, you, you know, I, you clarified that uh, I personally gave a million dollars to the president's campaign in 2016. I wrote a check just the other day for $50,000. I was supposed to go meet with him in uh, Mar-a-Lago. So I'm a big fan of the president. And, you know, we all have to be careful. Nobody's above critique. And unfortunately, the president was getting his advice from the CDC. And the CDC is just a, you know, it, it's a bureaucracy. And it has the ineptitude of every bureaucracy by design. You know, when people belong to bureaucracy, they uh, aren't focused on results like you and I are as entrepreneurs. They're focused on job preservation. So they're always hesitant to stand up and say something because it might put their job at risk if they were wrong. So by nature, a bureaucracy is a terrible organization to, you know, to rely on. And unfortunately, the president for the longest time was relying on them. And, you know, we ended up with uh, being way behind on testing and a variety of other things. But, you know, the president now has stepped up and is providing amazing leadership. And I'll give you an example. The CDC was really playing down some of the treatments that uh, looked very promising. And we're going to talk about that in a minute. So the president's really stepped up now. He has, for example, mandated that the FDA approve the drug regimen that uh, Foxy had, had on stage, if you remember, been opposed to. It's not ready yet. You know, we have to do testing. Well, you know, this uh, this drug regimen, and, and we're going to talk quite a bit about it in a few minutes because I have some additional information. Good. It doesn't hurt anybody. And if you're dying anyway, it's much like the, the Right to Try Act that the president did when he first got elected. You know, yes. that's just common sense. 
Uh, so he stood up against uh, the CDC now and is making good decisions in spite of some of the really bad advice. So I'm really proud of where he's at. What I was doing over the last six weeks was everything I could to get the president the best advice so that he could get ahead of this thing in spite of what he was getting from the CDC. So I think there was a lot of confusion to that. You know, not to mention when people hear evidence that's very threatening, you know, the, the potential of this terrible thing that we've got to deal with, you know, our first reaction is denial. You know, and, and then you, you and the next one is ridicule. You, you know, you kill the messenger. You know, so I think you and I took some arrows uh, a couple of weeks ago in that process, which is perfectly fine. You know, I'm certainly used to it. But, yeah. you know, we're now moving past the other stages into acceptance. And what I wanted to talk to you about today, what I think is urgent, are those things that are not being heard in the media. There's a lot of information that I'm going to share today in our short time that I think will help people to make better informed decisions about protecting their health and their communities that you're not getting from the mainstream media. We, we know that the alternative media is being censored on, on much of this stuff. So I'm going to offer some really helpful advice for people today, and I, and I would encourage them to listen because they're going to walk away from this with, with, uh, with some things that are going to be very helpful. Well, that's what we hope for. That's what we want. And again, I'm glad that the president is uh, is not just beholden to the bad information he was getting. You know, I, I don't know if he probably didn't know he shouldn't be listening to the CDC, but he was because they are supposed to be the, uh, you know, the agency that you listen to in, in issues like this. But even the CDC was so far behind initially that I'm at least grateful that the president did stop the ports of entry from China back in January when he did, because obviously had he not stopped the ports, let's just make this really clear. Had he not stopped the ports of entry from China back in January when he did, where do you speculate that the numbers could be in, in coronavirus cases and deaths multiplied today? C certainly by a factor of 10. And, wow. uh, you know, I wanted to mention the, the World Health Organization is, is just as dastardly as anybody. You know, I read a timeline last night of what the, the who knew and when they knew it. And after a month, of this being spread in China, they were still taking the Chinese information that this was not transmittable from human to human. They were saying that uh, this is anything to worry about. And that was well after there were hundreds of deaths in China, uh, in, which, by the way, that, that's one of the other things we're going to talk about today. Information. What do you believe? No one should believe the Chinese numbers. There's exactly. far too much anecdotal information that, that we can assume that that you can add a, a factor of 10 and perhaps even 100 to the Chinese numbers. I think we spoke briefly about it the other day, uh, and, and this is new information. There's 21 million less cell phone users in China today than there were uh, 60 days ago. 21 this, million this is, less cell phone users in China. Yes, and that's fairly widely reported right now. I haven't heard that information because, yet. Where did you get that information? Well, I'll send you the link to it. The Chinese telecoms have to report their number of, of customers, and they have uh, reduced that number by 21 million um, since January. And why is this relevant? Wow. In China, and I've been to China, your cell phone is your pass to get on a bus, to get on a train, to, to buy or sell just about anything. So yeah, even the peasants have a cell phone. Yeah. So, you know, and then you had this sulfur dioxide from 
from the air over Wuhan that was was only, you know, it, you could see it from outer space. We could see it. And it was way too much sulfur dioxide, probably from burning bodies. And so the, you, you could, can't believe China. And China has got outer space. bad information. Yeah. yeah. So these are anecdotal things that, that are giving us a window. And we know China lied because they yep. c- continued to say that this was an animal virus, you know, and it wasn't transmittable from human to human. Uh, for six weeks as this epidemic was spreading. And the WHO took that information and reported it, and the CDC relied on it. Even today, the CDC is touting the Chinese numbers. And so it kind of brings us to our next topic, David, which is, uh, what, is the, what is the wrong information or the misinformation that we're getting through our media out there? And I want to talk just about a few things. First one is we can't believe the Chinese numbers uh, right now. They are uh, on the other side of the curve, according to their media. I yeah, believe according China to their media. Is, right. And unfortunately, our media is repeating what theirs is saying as if it were factual. And I've actually seen I've actually seen there's a doctor. I think it's Harry Chen on Twitter that's been posting videos. And he said that certain parts of Wuhan are being reclosed off. They're being quarantined again. I'm seeing that. Of course, we're talking about reinfections and things like that. Is that guy's real real name Harry Chen? I don't know. I think it's Chan, but <laughs> you know, I'm looking at you. <laughs> and having trouble believing that. Well, you know, here's another piece of information that's really critical. Uh, the CDC is still claiming that this is a waterborne droplet uh, transmission. And it is, of course, but we now have some additional information that's not being reported. The first information is from the Journal of the Medical Medical Journal of the American Medical Association, right? And that's pretty credible. So a week ago Monday, they published a study, and the quote was is that this virus can stay in the air, excuse me, can float in the air for up to three hours. Wow, that is not what we're hearing today. Yeah, and the second uh, study came from Princeton, and it was published yesterday. And Princeton said that this is at least likely to be aerosolized because they're finding it can stay in the air and be transmittable for hours as well. Now, wow. let me give, give your audience a, a little, little lesson in the definition. If we can transmit this virus from, from a surface, we know that, and s- some of those studies are showing surfaces for many, many, many days, not just three or five or seven that you've seen. Like but, money. Uh, I mean, I, I think you shared with me the potential for this thing to stay on money is for how long? How many days? I don't think they've studied that specifically, but it's certainly days. Okay. Here's the best example. When they emptied the cruise ship that had all those people quarantined on, they were cleaning the ship 17 days later. And those cabins that had infected people still had transmittable virus after 17 days on the cruise ship. Wow. But and that's that's important to know. The next thing is, is it is it to, the, the CDC is telling us that it's water droplet borne, which it is, of course, and a mask should be able to prevent the spread of that. But the next level is called aerosolized. And that's when the virus uh, particles attach to other molecules that come from your breath. And aerosolized allows it, allows it to be floating in the air on those other molecules. 
this is certainly aerosolized, and that's what the Princeton study is saying. Uh, CDC is still, they're saying we're going to look at it, and, and yet, why is this important? Well, if you're on an airplane in a cabin with, with 200 other people and you're breathing the same air, and by the way, I'm an airline transport rated pilot, so I know how, how the filtration system works. It doesn't filter out viruses, and you're breathing the same air, and if it's aerosolized, you've got to take different precautions. As a matter of fact, I won't get on a commercial aircraft today. We should have shut. If, if CDC had been upfront about this possibly being aerosolized, uh, all commercial aircraft would have been shut down by now. And then the final one is airborne. And, and airborne is even more dangerous. The definition of airborne, are the virus particles small enough to literally float and drift in the air on their own? And we now know the size of the particles, and they're very, very small. They're from 0.06 microns up to 0.15. And that is so small that it's only logical these things could be considered airborne. So you're now hearing people talk about it, but this is something we should have known about months ago, and we would have taken different precautions, wow. much like the airline, as I mentioned. So for it to be, for Princeton, for Princeton to come out with this paper, and you said it was the New England Journal of Medicine that came out with the paper as well, both suggesting that this could be an aerosolized virus? That's correct. For well, that, no, for, and those it. just hit and just came out in the last two days, you'd think that hopefully the CDC or the people that Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks are listening to or paying attention to, that they would be privy to that information because even one infected person on a flight would infect all the flight <clears throat> attendants, the pilots, and anybody else that happens to be on there. Yeah. Let me correct something you just said. The uh, New England Journal of Medicine was a week ago Monday. Okay. A week ago, was a week ago Monday. Uh, yeah, it's been out there a long time. And only the Princeton article suggested that it is likely aerosolized. But you could gotcha. have deduced that from the New England Journal of Medicine if you're thinking critically about it. Now, that's why I wanted to talk to you today, because your listeners need to know this information. Uh, they're not getting it from the CDC. So they need to get it from, from people like us who, who can think critically and you know, have the time to, to read the research and be able to speak about it clearly. If somebody wanted to go look up these articles, where would they search online to find the article that Princeton put out? Would it be like Princeton.com and then just COVID-19? Well, you know, I'll send you the link and you can read it. But yeah, Princeton COVID-19 on a Google will probably bring it up. Uh, and, and same with the New England, England Journal of Medicine. Medicine. Uh, okay. A week ago, Monday, COVID-19. So yeah, it's, it's real easy to find. You know, I, I spoke with you about the N95 mask the other day, and I was explaining how it filters only above 0.4 microns, sometimes 0.3, and then only 95% capable. And this this virus being so small was a problem. But I learned something new. There's something called the browning effect. And very small particles, they're so small that you literally bounce off the molecules of other objects in the air. Because of their movement, even an N95 mask is effective against some of the smaller viruses. So I have a higher level of confidence in the N95 than I did when we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's good news because that's... You know, the, uh, you know, so many different companies are manufacturing these masks now. My good friend, Mike Lindell, I had just interviewed him. He's reallocated 75% of his manufacturing to producing those masks. I kept thinking about our first call 
our first interview and you said the masks, you didn't have a lot of confidence in them, but now you're stating that there's a, there's a lot more reason to have confidence in people wearing these masks. And from, from what we're hearing from these two sources of the potential for it, for it to be airborne, it really should be a necessity for individuals if they're going out in public period to wear a mask. Well, that's a very good point. You didn't know this. Uh, Mike Lindell was a good friend of mine also. And in fact, there's a couch behind me here that he and I were sitting on not too many weeks ago. I'm really proud of Mike and what he's done. Now, he's making a surgical mask, not an N95, okay. uh, which is which is helpful. And, he, and I'm really proud of what he's done. I, particularly, I was watching yeah, him his, when he uh, his uh, testament to uh, praying and, and, you know, going back to our Bible during this time. And boy, look at the we can't really complain about the few arrows we get. Uh, uh, he's a real, he's a real, no, not at all. I was texting him afterwards and he said, uh, he said, brother, please pray for me with three exclamation points. He said, they're attacking my website. (laughs) So our prayers go out to Mike and to his, my pillow website that, uh, God would keep it all preserved, that wisdom would, would reign with the technicians that are there and that sales would abound for this brother that's taken, uh, a lot of heat for standing up for Christ and doing what he's doing for this president. We love you, Mike. Amen. Yeah, and I tell you what, he's uh, he's running and praying. He's making masks and, uh, and saving lives. Yes, he is. You know, uh, I want to talk about treatment for just a minute. Uh, I thought it was fascinating that uh, the governor of Michigan and the governor of New York, a lot of people don't know that Como did this for a short period of time literally ordered their doctors in their states not to prescribe hydroxychloroquine for, for, for treatment for this. Ordered yeah, them not l- to do ludicrous. it. Now, thank goodness our president ordered the FDA on Monday of this week to allow it to be used for this illness at this point in time, which overrode those governors. A couple things about this. We knew this drug to be safe. Uh, the, the Hydroxychloroquine, uh, yeah. Chloroquine, there we go, uh, was approved the year I was born, by the way, which was a long time ago, 1955. <laughs> so, so we know it to be safe. And so do we know it to be effective? That's the question. Well, that should be left between the doctor and the patient, not the governor of Michigan or the governor of New York. The arrogance of them to really put people to death uh, yeah. because they don't know if it's effective or not. Well, that's that's a you know a good example of the of the tyranny, uh, and that was one of the last things I wanted to talk about. That you know we have to balance between uh, giving up our rights to protect ourselves and our community, uh, and the potential of losing our constitution. But I don't I don't want to go there just yet. There's a uh, physician in Monroe, New York, uh, which is a small town outside of uh, New York City, where my wife is from, of all places. Uh, he's an acidic Jew, and he has begun uh, months ago to, to treat his patients with a drug regimen, and, and it also included, uh, you know, a Z-Pack. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, 400, uh, excuse me, 250 milligrams of zinc. And of his Which is what you patients, shared on my first show. Uh, that's right. Now, it was 50 zinc, 50 gram, milligrams of zinc in a, in a regimen. And we're going to go back over this. The last thing we do today, perhaps. We go back over what my regimen is from minerals and, and, and vitamins to to protect your body from, from getting the virus, uh, or at least to help it to do that. But this doctor has treated over 500 patients with this regimen, and no one has been hospitalized, been very, very effective. And there's a lot of 
doctors around the country that are now using that regimen. So the problem in New York, which they're now using at the hospitals, by the way, is they're only giving it to people once they get critically ill. Mm. And that's really too late. We should be taking this regimen once we begin to get symptoms and we're, sh- we're sure we have the disease. We can't wait until it's critical. But if right. we get it early, much like this Jewish doctor in uh, Monroe, New York, is doing, uh, there's a lot of reasons to believe that we can avoid uh, getting seriously ill from the disease. Well, I know uh, Nevada, the governor of Nevada, also did the exact same thing and banned the uh, trial use of hydroxychloroquine. It's just ridiculous to me. It almost makes me wonder if some of these Democrats really want to see, unfortunately, just to be honest, if they really want to see people die because they feel like the death toll will be something that they can just turn around and blame on the president. I don't I don't know, but it doesn't make any sense. Can you can you think of any logical reason why? And and again, speaking in Nevada, his chief medical advisor, whatever, he doesn't even have a a lot of practice medicine, yet he banned its use. Can you think of any reason why these politicians would want to not give the public the option of using this, the drug that's safe for malaria use, been on the market for decades, that's possibly treating people that we hear cases that it is effective in treating treating COVID-19? Can you think of any reason why some of these politicians would not want to allow the public to have access to it? You know, since we know that it doesn't hurt anybody and you're going to die anyway, uh, there's no there's no logical reason. To answer your question, though, People that are called statists think that way. Hmm. And these Democratic governors are certainly statists. They want the state to have the power, the authority. They want people to be dependent on the state. So it's consistent. It's so consistent with their line of thinking. It's kind of natural that they would come up with some stupid decision like that. And Trump is a really great contrast to this. You know, he he is the opposite of a statist. He he's a constitutionalist. He believes yes. that the power should belong to the people, and and so we have a wonderful example. But I tell you what's scaring me right now is Biden, Biden, excuse me, who who is is an idiot. Uh, you know how we can, and and a likely criminal, knowing what we know about you know his his adventures in the Ukraine and China, enriching his family members. And yet in the in the key battleground counties that Trump has to win, Biden is polling as high as 25 percent higher. You know, where in the world is our country when we can take a, a criminal idiot like Biden and, and put him ahead uh, in some areas that are critical for, for our president to win? That's it's scary, isn't it? It is definitely concerning when some of these swing states that the president does need so badly in order to win his reelection, which we absolutely need four more years of President Trump doing what he's been doing, which is creating the most amazing and booming economy that this country's ever seen. We need that. So it is quite concerning when we've got some of these areas that are showing more f- support for Biden. It's hopefully it's like all the other polls that said that they gave, uh, you know, Donald Trump two percent or 10 percent chance of winning. In 2016, hopefully that's the facts. But what about what some of these governors and states are doing? I know here in Texas, which you and I are both in, Governor Abbott just this week announced that he's not going to prohibit counties and cities from banning religious services during COVID-19. On the flip side, he says attending church is essential, but abortions can definitely wait. 
Talk about being a champion for conservative values. Governor Abbott, thank you so much. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, I am uh, unabashedly pro-life. And Me too. as the head of a major women's brand, I took a lot of attacks on that over the years. Since I'm retired, uh, I'm no longer in that uh, target area, but uh, I continue to, to support that. The church issue, you know, we, we've got to strike a balance in America today between giving up rights to fight the virus and protect our communities and still protecting our civil rights. And so Abbott, I think, is striking that balance. You know, he's a friend of mine. And and, uh, when he was the attorney general, he sued the federal government 32 times uh, to protect Texas from uh, the overreach of an out of control federal government. So he's a constitutionalist, and and I'm proud of him for doing that. The concerns that that I've got, actually, we spoke about it in our last interview. The Department of Justice asked the Congress to grant them the rights to suspend essentially the Fifth and Sixth Amendment, which is our due process, our right to to a speedy trial. Under this new emergency, you know, they just won't give up. The statists won't give up. Now, there's a question whether our Congress is is, uh, is going to stand against an overreach of the Department of Justice. And I hope our president wouldn't sign any any nonsense like that. But, you know, we just had in the last couple of days the renewal of the FISA court and Congress passed that. And I don't know if the president's going to sign it or if, even if he's required to. But, you know, your audience knows that the FISA court is been a gross abuse to to American citizens. Absolutely. Let me give you a little, you know, most people haven't studied this, and I'm going to round the numbers off, but uh, there were 20,000 cases that were submitted to the FISA court since its existence. They turned down three. And wow. these, are, these are requests to eavesdrop and spy on American citizens. Wow. So it's been nothing but a rubber stamp. <clears throat> And and by the way, the, the the third one they turned down was to spy on the Trump uh, Trump himself during the campaign. So it's been grossly abused. The FBI has been the lead abuser on the whole thing. We now know this. It's it's come out. You, you've had a number of people looking at it, and Congress just renewed it. And I, I don't know what the president can do or will do to to approve it if he has a right to do that. That kind of stuff is going on during the midst of this crisis. You know, the the statist, Rahm Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago, said you never waste a good crisis, right? Well, these guys yeah. just don't give up. No, they so don't. We, we, I, I know on this topic to of the FISA, I reported, uh, I published an article yesterday, actually, at DavidHarrisJr.com, that after the IG in his report found 17 lies or errors in their FISA warrant applications, he decided to look at more applications. He looked at 29 more to be exact, and he found 29 problems. He, he found problems in all 29 applications for FISA warrants. So that just goes to show exactly that uh, I think the FISA court needs to be completely either done away with or completely rebuilt. And it can't be rebuilt with the same people, but there's definitely issues there when you're talking about Americans being spied on and there being errors and issues and problems in the actual applications themselves. Yeah, you know, freedom comes with risk. You know, people are free to do a lot of dumb things. You you can't cover all the risk. And when you try to, 
you, you end up usurping our freedoms. The FISA court needs to be done away with. We have to take our chances that that under our normal due process, we're able to get the job done. It's served us well for 200 plus years. It's proven itself to be a, a tool for those in power to uh, abuse. So yeah. it just needs to be shut down. It, yeah. I, t- I hope Trump has the right information on this and that uh, that he stops this. And, it, you know, he unfortunately signed the uh, uh, the Defense Authorization Act, which is where this abuse originated from, that allows the president to have someone suspected of terrorism to be arrested, to not have an attorney, to be held indefinitely without being charged until the end of, in this case, the war on terror. And now on this case would be the fight on the coronavirus. So our Congress has stupidly been renewing this Defense Authorization Act. And now we've got the FISA court, uh, which has proven to be a source of abuse, particularly by by the FBI. And of course, the president's been a recipient of this, recipient of this abuse. So we just need to stop this stuff now. And all of us need to be to, to be fully aware, be able to talk about this, share it with our congressmen, and be vigilant about protecting our freedoms. This is so important during a time of, you know, of opportunity for these people. And, uh, you know, we had a great example, as we spoke a minute ago, about the governor of Michigan telling her doctors if they prescribed hydroxychloroquine that they would lose their licenses. You know, when, you know, that is not the authority that, that an elected servant of the people should be exercising. No, um, so we all, all have to be vigilant. Yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I wanted to, um, to talk about self-protection. Yeah, please. Uh, I know I in, saw some of these notes in here. What yeah. exactly could we be doing? Should we all be doing to protect ourselves? And then I had a bunch of questions come in from Facebook. I'll pick a few of those. If you have time, we can go through a few of those questions. Yeah. But on the issue of self-protection, what should we be doing, Gary? Well, the first thing is don't believe everything you hear. Don't believe everything you read. You know, even what I'm saying, you want to go look these articles up. Uh, I didn't make up the Journal of American Medical Association article. You've got a copy of it. I think you'll link to it. I do, actually. And I can even share with people where they can find it. Breitbart actually reposted it on uh, March 12th. They shared the study under peer review at Princeton University has found that the novel coronavirus, in fact, uh, can can in fact survive on its own up to days at a time. And then it goes into a lot more detail. And that is at Breitbart.com. And then at the New England Journal of Medicine, that's NEJM.org. I guess if they searched aerosol and surface stability of they're now calling it SARS-CoV-2, which is the new name for what they actually do spell out is uh, formerly called a COVID-19 emerged from Wuhan, China in 2019. It also shares the exact same information that you were sharing earlier. So our listeners and viewers can go look those things up themselves to do the research. So everybody really needs to take responsibility for their own health. And it begins with getting the right information. And I think we've made a pretty good argument that the CDC and the World Health Organization Either they're inept or something more nefarious, but I don't want to be a victim of that bad information. And, and I don't want any of your listeners to be a victim either. So even though the, it's scary right now, try to avoid the reaction of denial, which is unfortunately natural for all of us. 
and go ahead and, and get over those things and start doing the hard work. You know, things are going to change here in the next couple of weeks. And I get I hate to be negative. I know nobody, nobody wants to hear this. But two weeks from now, we're going to have 5,000 Americans dying a day. Wow. Now, when that happens, the, the pressure on the president is going to be enormous. And by that, I mean the political pressure, you know, as well. You know, he's a man with a heart. It's going to be devastating uh, in all sorts of ways. We have to focus on what's coming, not on what's here today. That's an important thing. So when we have that sort of disaster in our country, which you can see that's coming because it's just a math problem. I hate to say that, but uh, if you can do exponential math, you, you can see where we're headed on this thing. You know, what, what about this really this, quick? I, I've had mm -hmm. my wife is constantly bringing me articles. And while we we at once thought that it was more the elderly or the immune deficient that we're going to have serious or show serious issues. I think she read an article to me just last night about a, a 30 year old coach seemingly healthy and passed away. Are, are there well, now new, is there new information or is this just still part of the uncertainty of this strain of virus that it can have a deadly impact on seemingly healthy individuals that are not over 50 or 60? but that could be in their 20s or 30s or 40s. I know there's a singer that's 25 years old and she's uh, fighting for her life right now from this virus. Is there any more information or thoughts that you have on the severity of this in individuals that, that are seemingly healthy and younger? Yeah, I read yesterday, the day before, that 40% of the people that are hospitalized in New York uh, are under the age of 40. Wow. Yeah, wow. this is going to affect all of us, and certainly the odds of dying are greater when you're older or when you're infirm, but everyone should be concerned with this. And I think there's plenty of evidence now to validate that statement. Yeah, I'd agree with you. What about, what about this? I know you shared in our first podcast the study that was done, I believe, in India that actually had dissected the the components of the virus and it was three different parts. Is there anything new to that or is it still the same? And if it's the same, can you expound on that? No, there's a, what we what we spoke about was a research organization in India had looked at the DNA and found that there were strands of HIV, MERS and SARS that appeared to be inserted into this virus. There's been some additional information about what's called splicing and, uh, and cleavage. And these are, these are really technical terms. We're, we're further along now, uh, I believe, clearly identifying this. is, And I'm one of the very few people who seem to have the guts to say this. But this certainly appears to have been made in a lab. And it certainly appears to be a level four bioweapon. And uh, again, the CDC is not willing to say that. They're, in fact, saying it came from a bowl of bat soup, right? Yeah. Uh, but if you look at the RNA of the structure, the various components that are in it, very, very clearly was made. And that's scary because it uh, seems to have properties that allow it to adapt to become uh, even, even deadlier than it is. So this is one of those topics that everybody needs to do their own work on. There is plenty of information online from very, very uh, 
authoritative people that uh, uh, can explain this in some detail. And again, you're not getting the information from the government or the CDC, so you've got to do your own research. So just Google this, uh, weaponized COVID-19 virus, and you're going to see PhDs, uh, all sorts of very knowledgeable people that have the courage to, uh, to explain what this is. So everybody should spend a few minutes on it. This is important information. Well, the fact, the fact that we're not hearing about the, the DNA, the RNA components itself of the virus is, it seems maybe suspect to me because obviously we have it. Obviously it's here. Obviously our doctors and head researchers and doctors on the, on the COVID task force and everything else, they've seen it. They've had to have broken it apart by now to know why, why haven't they, unless I've missed something, why haven't they come out and shared that it's part HIV, part Merck and part SARS, if it in fact is, well, I, they probably wouldn't want to freak out the public with that information. If it wasn't, then they could say, hey, here's the components of this virus. It looks just like this one. We've treated this one before. So we know, you know, the level of, of danger that it presents. But I haven't heard, especially on any news, and I haven't heard from the White House, haven't heard it from the CDC, haven't heard it from uh, World Health Organization. Well, you, the CDC has a uh, taken a position on it, much like they've taken the position that this is not at least aerosolized, which we now know that to be wrong. And we're seeing the consequences of that. Uh, right. So it, the CDC really issues the party line, and you're expected to toe that party line, particularly if you're part of the medical community. It really takes... You know, one of one of the reasons you're inter interviewing me is that my nature really has been to challenge authority uh, all my life. You know, I'm I'm just not a compliant person, and quite frankly, that's why I was able to build the tenth largest franchise company in the in the world with ten thousand dollars. I started. You know, I yeah, that's I, an American I, I don't dream. regard the approval or or the disapproval of people very highly, which is kind of the way I'm made. I, I pursue the truth regardless of the consequences. And I think you're a lot uh, like me in that respect. Yeah. So people like us, you know, we're, we're not used to complying and following party lines and we're not, we don't lack the courage to tell the truth sometimes as ugly or controversial as it may be. And everything I'm saying can be, can be found. Now the challenge is, and maybe this is one of the proofs of what I'm saying is true. The big tech is censoring any of this information, you know, e yep. even the treatment of, of hydroxychloroquine is being yeah. censored. So, and that's a fact, right? I think everybody can agree on that. Yeah. Well, they and made so, uh, Twitter made Laura Ingram it. take down a couple of her posts where she was talking about, uh, and Rudy and, uh, Mary Rudy Giuliani take down their tweets on how they were sharing the effectiveness of hydroxychloroquine in the doctors in some of the studies. I know specifically the one in New York, but there's been a few studies like that, and France has, has some, Italy has some. Yeah. They, Twitter made them take it down. I know I'm I'm frightful. I'm I'm like trying to be very cautious with how I describe everything on my website. I use an acronym for the disease that cannot be mentioned instead of saying it because it is an actual all-out assault on trying to get the American people get get any truth or any perspective to the American people on this thing. Yeah, and I believe that that's uh, validation that you know when they're trying to to censor something, you're probably pretty close to the target area. And it's a shame that 
that we tolerate that. You know, I had a long talk with Donald Trump Jr. a few weeks ago about this very subject. You know, what can't you get your dad to sign an executive order that these this big tech on the internet is violating their privilege to be free of liability because they're not editors? Well, when they censor their editing, and and I really yeah. pushed Donald Trump Jr. hard to to uh, to to really speak to his dad because you know when we come up to the election. And they're continuing to censor or, or publish only things that are anti-Trump. We're going to have the same problem we had in the in the primary or, or the uh, midterm elections this last time where we lost lost the House. Uh, let me run through this, and we'll answer some of those questions. Okay, Dave? Yes, let's do it. Thank you. Okay, so the first thing is is, is do your own research. You're getting a lot of either bad information or lack of information, and it's out there. So so take responsibility for yourself. And what you know about this and don't rely on mainstream media uh, or even what the government is saying, because it's proven to, to be false. And unfortunately, it's already going to kill a lot more Americans than were necessary. By the way, I forgot I wanted to mention one other thing that's really important. There's a lot of misunderstanding about the flattening of the curve, and it's been perpetrated by the CDC to a point this curve, this flattening of the curve is not going to diminish the number of people that are going to get this disease. Mm. It's simply going to extend it out over a longer period of time so that our hospitals won't be overrun. But the same number of people are likely to get this thing at the end of the day. It's not going to do away with the disease. It is so contagious, and there's nothing to avoid getting it right now, that the epidemiologist at Harvard says that, let's say, was it 40 to 70% of us are going to get it? I'm afraid that's true. So, so don't think that flattening the curve is going to prevent you from getting it. Me personally, I want to get it later when there are therapies and maybe even a vaccine for it. Of course, a vaccine scares me. I'm not a big vaccine guy. Yeah, me uh, either. But there's certainly going to be therapies that are proven and are available at that point in time. So I wanted to clarify that. The second thing is we spoke about this the other day. There's certain nutrients that you can, uh, you can take, supplements. That mm-hmm. give your body a, a more antiviral environment. And, and there's four things that I recommend. Very simply, it's 4,000 milligrams of vitamin C each day. You want to split it into two doses because it's water soluble. Uh, you'll urinate it out. Number two is, is vitamin D3, and it's measured in, inter, in IUs, and that's 4,000 IUs uh, uh, again of vitamin D3. And then magnesium. It's a mineral, uh, 400 milligrams. And the final one is zinc in, in a 50 uh, milligram pill of zinc a day. And zinc is a really critical uh, part of this. Let me do a little side note. This doctor in New York who's treated these 500 patients very, very successfully added uh, 220 milligrams of zinc to the uh, hydroxychloroquine and the uh, Z-Pack. And his position on it was is that the, the, the hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine can bring the zinc into the cell at a cellular level. Hmm. And what zinc does in a cellular level is it prevents the replication of the virus. Ah. So number one, I want it in my daily intake. And most of us are zinc deficient. Oh, and by the way, if you look at the symptoms of zinc deficiency and you put them beside the symptoms of COVID-19, they're the same symptoms. Wow. So getting it in your supplement and then, and if you get this illness, 
before you're severely ill. That's the trick. Mm-hmm. You want to find a doctor that's going to prescribe hydroxychloroquine and, and the Z-Pack and uh, the zinc along with it. All three of those I believe to be critical. And by the way, I've made sure that my doctor has a source for all these things in case I need it. I would recommend everybody do the same thing. Then uh, It's a great idea. Something really obvious is, is sunshine. Uh, sunshine and fresh air are very antiviral. In fact, they, during the Spanish flu in 1918, the hospitals were overrun and they were having to put patients outside in the fresh air in tents. And this is anecdotal, but but the survival rate for those that were treated outside went from 32% to 80%. Wow. So I don't want to be stuck in a hospital room, you know, I'd, I'd, and, and even now to stay healthy, we need to get sunshine and fresh air. And then the final thing on, on, on my recommendations is rest. Uh, mm. Your immune system functions much better when you're well rested. So take advantage of this time at home and, and try to get as much sleep and naps as you can in. That's going to give you an edge uh, uh, so that your immunity can fight this thing. That's great. That is a great prescription for wellness, so to speak. Great regimen to take to try to help keep your body healthy. Thank you so much, Gary, for all that information. And I want to go back to, I think it's your first point as far as flattening the curve. You know, I know that the new charts that Dr. Fauci has showed and Dr. Burks have showed shows that if there's, if the mitigation's not done, then the chart goes really high as far as the deaths go, goes over a million, 1.5 million. And then they say flattening the curve, it may wind up that it's only 150 to 200,000. If we flatten the curve and in the flattening of the curve, a vaccine, again, hopefully it doesn't have to come to that because I don't like vaccines either, or this hydroxychloroquine combination with the other two shows real viable results, then hopefully some of those deaths aren't just spread out, but they're actually mitigated or or stopped by the treatment. Would that make sense as to why the White House would show those charts on if the mitigation takes place, the number of deaths will go down? Well, there's there's two factors in getting those charts down. One is to not overrun the hospitals. We haven't seen it yet here. Of course, in Italy, which is our time machine, we can see clearly what happened there when they didn't didn't uh, flatten the curve. So uh, by flattening the curve here, we can make sure that there's enough beds, there's enough ICU, there's enough ventilators so that we don't have to choose who lives or dies. So that's one big factor that they're talking about. Then the other one is therapies. We are quickly developing therapeutic treatments, and many of those are going to be available. You know, there's a shortage of hydroxychloroquine right now. And so, you know, most of it is made in in, uh, in India, and India has stopped shipping that uh, medicine out of the country. So so we are gearing up now they to need make it. it. Well, they're going to need it. You know, we have an orphanage in India that we built 10 years ago, and so we're real close to, to India. And the masses of people over there, it's, it's, just, it's just impossible to understand how they're going to isolate and, 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 wow. and even have the kind of treatment they need. So, yeah, they're, they're keeping it, and I can't blame them. So to, today in America, you know, one of the things I researched before we, we had this interview is, is, are the New York hospitals giving this regimen to its patients? And what I found out, they were only giving it to patients that were critical. And unfortunately, that's really too late. Yeah. The, the people that, that can benefit from this are those that are not yet critical. 
where it has right. a chance to work. Hmm. So, but all over the country, are they are they giving it to people? In fact, a good friend of mine is a, one of the top docs at, at one of the major hospital systems in the country. He just wrote me a, an update on what's going on. He oversees 65,000 doctors and nurses and medical personnel. And, and I wrote him back and I said, are you guys given, given this regimen yet? And, and I was waiting for his email. I didn't, I didn't get it. In fact, let me look, because that would be very interesting if we had yeah, the information. He hadn't written me back yet. He's a pretty busy guy, as you I'm can sure imagine. sure he is, especially right now. Yeah. So for those two reasons, I believe we could reduce the ultimate uh, contagion rate and the ultimate death rate. But Good. there's still going to be a lot of Americans uh, that are going to get this and a lot of them that are unfortunately going to die. And, you know, you and I'm talking to your listeners need to do everything you can to not be one of those. I think we've given yeah. you some advice today, uh, which begins with uh, uh, take responsibility for getting uh, your own information. Absolutely. No, I appreciate that. All right. Let's get to a few questions here that came to me from uh, my followers all over the all over the country. Can the virus enter a host through the ear canal and the eyes? Comes from uh, John. The answer is yes. I first learned that back in January when the Chinese doctor who had been arrested for speaking publicly about the human-to-human transmittability of COVID-19. And you remember they let him go back to his hospital to work. And he ended up becoming infected and dying. And by the way, he was 34 years old. And he uh, he was an ophthalmologist, by the way. And he quickly figured out that the virus floating in the air can be caught in the, the mucus of the eye and also in the ears. And so he had wow. been warning everyone he could. And in just a matter of weeks in China at the Wuhan hospital, 29% of the patients were the medical staff because they were not wearing eye protection or ear protection for that matter. Yeah. And you know, this is a, you reminded me of a good point with this question. There's one other thing that you can do to protect yourself, understanding that this is at least aerosolized, if not airborne, you don't want to be in a room with other people breathing the same air. That's, that's a critical thing. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to my friend's house tonight. We're going to sit outside in the breeze, 10 feet apart from each other. I'm going to <laughs> walk around his house, and not go through his house. Yeah. So don't put yourself in a situation where you're breathing the air of other people, for example, in a closed room. Right. What about the ear then? If it's, if it's airborne, should you have something in your ears to stop it from getting in there? Yeah. You know, you could put a little piece of cotton in each ear so that it wouldn't impair your hearing. That would probably suffice. All right. Great question, John. Thank you for that. I think we covered this one. Teresa asked, how long does the virus actually last on surfaces in the air? We covered that one. Tarina says, I'd like to know how can they determine the actual number of infected persons versus the number that have passed away for accurate death rate if they are not testing everyone with symptoms, only testing people that are sick enough to be put in hospitals. This makes the actual ratio of the infected to death rate so far from what it actually is. Yeah. You know, there's three answers to that. Testing, testing, and testing. Right. Unfortunately, we're so far behind the curve, we're not going to catch up. They've got some fabulous tests that are coming out right now. One that uh, give you results. I think it's five minutes if you're 
negative and 12 minutes if you're positive. I think Abbott produced that test and they're sending them out right now. But there's an even better test that I like that, that tests antibodies. And mm. if you've got antibodies, it means you've had it. And yeah. there's two types of antibodies. There's, a, there's an M and a G. The M antibody are those antibodies that are produced as your body is gearing up to fight it. And the G antibodies are produced after you've beaten the, the, the disease. And that's important because you want to know where you are in the, in, the, in the stages of it. So that test, and it's just a little prick of, of blood on your finger, can, can actually, it's called the antibody test, can actually give you some more valuable information, whether you've had it or not, but where you are. In, in that stage. By the way, there's a new treatment coming out. It's it's only available at the Methodist Hospital in Houston. Uh, they started yesterday, hmm. I believe. Just so happens I was born in that hospital. This is pretty cool. Wow. Uh, and they are taking uh, uh, the plasma from people that have recovered because it's full of antibodies. And they're putting that plasma into patients uh, and letting those antibodies fight the virus on those people. So it's a very promising uh, treatment uh, that uh, I believe will be uh, widely available very soon. That would be great. Absolutely. We answered this one. Do you still think this is a man-made virus? I think this is true. Otherwise, we couldn't be such a critical crisis. You know, the fact that the fact that now more information, obviously this is new, more information is coming out about the severity, the seriousness of this for not just people that are immune deficient or elderly, but for almost anybody to think about that, to think about the fact that it's got spliced parts of other viruses inside of it. I don't know where you're, where you stand on the whole, you know, global elite trying to take out a huge portion of the world. But when you think about countries like India, uh, like China, the fact that 21 million cell phones are no longer in use over there, that's astounding. And you think about some of these countries that are really poor, people are packed together, you know, and the, the, the cleanliness is not there. And you think about what a virus could do to some of these countries. It's like, it almost makes sense as far as it's like, hey, it's man-made. There's global elite deep state that'd like to wipe out a big portion, a portion of the world. And here this, the, the world is now dealing with this virus. You know, David, I don't want to get too conspiratorial, but, um, I try uh, not to Kishinger either, brother, but it's hard on this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Henry Kissinger referred to to the poor of the world as useless eaters. You know, I believe that the, there are people in power, I would call them the cabal, who derive benefit from uh, not just the deaths that are going to occur, but from the dependency of people on their governments. So there's, uh, I believe there's a lot of nefariousness going on behind this. It is definitely crazy. <laughs> ask him, ask Gary, if you just got over the red flu, does that give you any resistance? <laughs> I don't know what the red flu is, but I didn't know this about flu. Antibodies are antigen specific. It would be reasonable to assume that if you had a, a different virus, you're not going to get a benefit. Uh, that's why flu viruses don't work because mm. they, you know, they try to guess which ones are, are, are coming and then they give you uh, the, the antibodies for that virus. And when the other flu shows up, which is invariably the case, by the way, you don't have the, the specific antigen 
protection that you, you would hope that you would have. So uh, it, it would be reasonable to say, no, it's got to be antigen specific. It's got to be a COVID-19. This question kind of goes back to, I think, what we were just talking about. Douglas asks, ask him what his definition of conquer and control is and if it looks familiar. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. It smells a lot like this. Yeah. I hear you. All right, my brother. Uh, looks like those are the good basic questions. Thank you so, so much, Gary Haven, for bringing on your wisdom, your experience, your knowledge. You do a lot of research. And that's what I always share with our listeners, with my listeners, my audience is to do their own research. Go, go do it all yourself. So I think you emulate that very, very well. Don't trust what you're hearing on the mainstream media. And really, you probably can't even trust what we're hearing most of the time from politicians and local and state even. And then when you know that the CDC is not being forthright, then it's hard to even listen to what is coming out of uh, of there as well. But I, I really think that uh, this information is important. I'm honored to uh, to know you and call you friend. And I appreciate your hard work to try to help bring a, an awareness to uh, to the masses. Well, thank you, David. Thanks for all you do. I know you're just trying to help people to help themselves, right? I admire the time and effort you put into this and i'm honored to to uh, to be invited on thank you david absolutely gary thank you so much brother we'll talk soon so friends there you have more specific direct information on how you can protect yourself what you should and should not be listening to and enough reasons of why you should do your own research and make up your own decision on how you should take care of yourself and your family gary haven is an amazing individual a true american patriot He's uh, conquered the American dream, done amazingly well for himself, and he has a huge heart for Americans, for people around the world. He's done so much to bring health, healing, and wholeness to uh, to individuals in, in a lot of different areas, but it's an uh, honor to be able to have his expertise on this issue. And like our first one, a lot of you didn't like the uh, the information, and now we see it all unfolding before our very eyes. So instead of uh, playing from behind... Listen to the information that was shared today. Take the necessary action that you can to keep yourself and your family safe and uh, and pray for our president. Pray for his administration. Pray that uh, that they see wisdom, that they choose and follow wisdom with who they're listening to and uh, and that they give good, direct counsel to all of us as Americans. Please share this podcast with your friends, family. Get the word out. Help me get the word out. And if you haven't already given me five stars, please do that if you like the information I have. So God bless you guys. We'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your day and a great week. David J. Harris Jr. here saying goodbye. bye